I called my mom yesterday and talked to her for a while about all the stuff that I put her through and um, just great memories like, hey, you remember when you did this? I'm like, oh yeah. Also, do you ever wonder how this happened? It was me. <laughs> I was like, I've been waiting 30 years to tell you. Uh, man, thank you so much uh, to all of our mothers. Um, honestly, y'all mean the world to us and um, I, I, I hope that we can convey that to you, how much you mean to us and um, how much, I was just thinking about it today, like, I'm probably never going to have the most money in the world. I've given up on owning a Ferrari. I like Jordans, but I can't afford Jordans, so I don't post Jordans. But I was thinking about it, like, today, like, truly the best thing I can ever give to my daughter is her mom, who is amazing. Like, she's the ultimate flex. Like, she really, like, I married up, and I get it. <laughs> like, you know, it's Mother's Day. Like, you think about it, you're like, oh, wow, yeah. You're welcome, child, because I gave you her, right? Like, man, I'm I'm just so thankful. Hey, Genesis chapter 1, I feel like... Um, I feel like I know how it would feel to go before Taylor Swift goes at a concert right now, because I know y'all are not here to listen to me. I know you're here to see the babies, so I'm going to get to the babies as quick as I can. Um, but Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then look at this. This is cool because this goes so well with the song we just sang. We as a church just sang a blessing over our children. And God did something similar. Verse 28, he blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the, fruit, the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. This is interesting because if you follow along in this Genesis narrative at all, the first time God says something is very good is after he blesses Adam and Eve. Like that's the very first time he sees his creation at the end of every day. God's creating. He's walking through, just creating this diverse ecosystem. And he's like, this is good. This is good. This is good. Then he makes male and female. And he's like, and this is very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And then look at what God does because uh, in our American culture, we love to like fight over the first part of that. And then we just skip this part that's coming up. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. If you take notes, if you circle things, if you make notes in your phone, pay attention to this. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. 
Uh, this is one of the most important and overlooked things that happens in this entire story. We could probably get into a really great argument about Genesis chapter 1, and every one of us would think something differently, and we could probably discuss it for about two years. But what is so fascinating to me is God creates male and female. He identifies them. You are male, you are female. Then he blesses them, and then he rests. And he allows them the same rest. And this is important. God created Adam and Eve and named them before they had ever done anything for him. Immediately then tells them not to work, but instead to rest. You would think that God would create them and make them work, and then based off of how they work, name them. Or he would create them, name them, and then have them work. Like now that you know who you are, get to work. But God does it differently. Instead, he creates them and names them and has them rest. And only after they had rested does God have them work. This is so important. God identifies us, you, as a human being, not as a human doing. And this is so counterculture right now because our culture defines us as human doings, not as human beings. Think about, especially on Mother's Day, right? What do you do is the first question anyone is ever going to ask you. I even go to church conferences with tons of pastors and the first thing we do, what do you do? Oh, how well are you doing it? What else do you do? Every question humanity asks is right now based on what we do. This is because we define ourselves as human doings. Think about what we teach our kids as children. Hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? We never ask our children, who do you want to be when you grow up? We just automatically in every school and every home and every family and every gathering of people around America, we're like, hey, let us define you based off of what it is you think you're going to do someday. So our children feel an overwhelming pressure from an early age to identify themselves based off of their activity. But God does not define us like that. God says, hey, you're male and female, don't do anything, rest. And after you've rested, then work. This is how God does this. Everything our culture does is based off of activity, but everything God's culture is based off of identity. Our culture tells us everything we do makes us into who we are. But God says who we are dictates what we will then someday do. And this is important because in the world's culture, this type of living creates so much pressure and eventually our activity becomes our identity. So eventually our identity becomes based off of how well we do something. Think about it. We will determine our entire identity off of how well we did something in middle school. Oh, I'm, you always hear people say, I'm the funny person. Oh, I'm the, I'm the sassy one. 
Oh, I'm the athlete. Oh, I'm this, I'm that. And it's all based off of something we did in middle school. Why? Because this American culture that we, in, we are in is trying to rob us of the way that God created us. And they are trying to force us to believe that everything about us is based off of what we do. Why? Because if they do this, they know that we will then do more and more and more and more and more because we all have a hole in us because we're all searching for identity. So if our culture can say your identity is based off your job title, your identity is based off the things you do, our culture can then manipulate us into consistently attempting to do more and more and more and more to prove that is who we are. This leads us to one of two traps. I either am what I do or I'm a failure. You have to be one of the two in the American activity-based culture. And this is even more tough nowadays because of this little thing right here. I know you're not supposed to have your phone in church. Ladies, grandmas, I'm sorry. My, my grandma would slap me if she saw that I had my phone in church. But it's for an illustration, grandma. <laughs> this little thing right here is entirely devoted to telling you everything that you are not and everything you don't have. It's literally named an iPhone because it's all about telling us everything about us. So what, is our, what does our culture do? When you open up Instagram, you open up TikTok, you open up all the other ones, you open up Facebook, you open up even Twitter, everything is telling you, hey, you're not this. And this, honestly, like mothers, this is a, a very hard thing because when our culture looks at us, our culture insists to you mothers, this is who you're not. You're not this. Think about it like this. If you're a stay-at-home mom, our culture tells you that you're not hardworking. If you're a successful working mom, they tell you that you don't spend enough time with your children. If you're a fun mom, our culture tells you well, you're not very hard on your kids. You're not raising them the right way. And if you're hard on your kids, our culture tells you you're not fun. Why? Our culture's identity is based off of activity and everything about it is telling you who you're not. But God sees you differently. God sees you differently. And this is important because our culture says, hey, you're not successful. You're not this. You're not this. You're not this. You're not this. Which manipulates us into trying to do more. More jobs, more parties, more fun, more meetings, more laundry, more cleaning, more stress. And if you didn't do seven loads of laundry and only five, our culture tells you you're not a good mom. This is a lie from Satan. God calls us by name before we ever do anything. He said, before you were even in your mother's womb, I knew you, I hand-fashioned you, I made you and called you by name. I mean, that's fascinating to me. I love our daughter's name, Isla Kay. It's, we love it. It's awesome, beautiful. God knew her name before we did. Because he knows who you are. You are a human being to him. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are to God. 
This is why so many singles feel this desire to do in order to prove. And then when we're married, now we don't know how to handle this because we don't know what to do in order to prove. But God calls us and tells us that who we are, not who we are not or what we do not do. God names you because of who you are, not because of what you do. So in God's world, when, you're fa- when you fail, you're not a failure. You're his child. When you mess up, you're not a mess up, you're his child. In fact, we just finished a series on uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. In that 1st in that John, John calls uh, the people he's writing to beloved little children, and he calls them beloved 40 times, and little children, eight of the nine times it's mentioned in the Bible. And the only other person in the New Testament besides John who calls people little children is Jesus. Why? Because God is trying to remind us who we are. We are his beloved children. So mothers, you didn't get seven loads of laundry done yesterday and you only got five done. This does not define who you are. God defines who you are. And God says that he called you by name before anyone else even knew it. You are his beloved child. With God, our identity Our identity informs our activity instead of our activity informing our identity. I am not what I do. I am who God says I am. That is a massive difference. And Jesus actually modeled this. This is so fascinating. I was talking to a pastor about this. He told me this on Monday and I was like, stealing this, bro. And I'm just going to go ahead and let you know. Jesus was the most confident human on the planet. Think about it. There's never a moment where Jesus wasn't confident. You always wonder why, right? Look at John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, not I do. Jesus could have said, before Abraham was, I heal. Jesus could have said, before Abraham was, I created. Before Abraham was, I rescued. Before Abraham was, I saved. Before Abraham was, I did this and I did that and I did this. But instead, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus' confidence in life arose from a place of knowing I am exactly who God, my Father, tells me to be. He is exactly who God says he was. It's not about doing It's about being. It's about who God made us to be. He did not describe himself as what he did. He described himself as who he was. He said, I am. I am exactly who the Father wants me to be. And I think this is why Jesus was able to live the way he lived. Think about how Jesus lives. If someone told me, hey, You're going to have to uh, start a business, and you got 33 years to get that business, and it needs to change the entire globe. Like, it's got to change everything. Like, we need this new business because the world is just fading and falling apart, and you've got to create something, and you've got to change it, and I've got 33 years for you to do it. Go. I would then immediately start doing things immediately. But this is not what Jesus did. Jesus at age 12 is teaching in the temple. 
And then he's like, I have to be about my father's business, which is like, yeah, that's the business, teaching, right? Oh, okay. Then what did he do next? Nothing. He's not even recorded doing anything else until he turns 30, which would also be a great thing for us to learn, like don't put your kids on a platform at age 13. Look how it's turning out for all of us Mouseketeer fans. It's not going great for that generation, right? But think about it. Jesus, at age 12, I gotta be about my father's business. Okay, what are you gonna do next? Nothing, nothing. So he's got 33 years. So when does he decide to start doing something? At age 30. Why? Well, I got three years left. I'm like, what? You got three years left? What are you going to do, Jesus? Oh, yeah, let me, uh, I'll, I'll start off by, I'm going to get baptized and I'm going to go to a party. What? Are you kidding me? You're going to go to a party and get baptized? That's how you're going to begin this shindig? Like, you got to save the world. Yeah, I know, I'm going to get baptized and go, I'm going to go to a wedding. It's going to be fun. Watch this. Watch this party trick. I'm about to turn water into wine. Check this out. Jesus' entire activity is based off of his identity. I am who God says I am, so I do what God tells me to do because I know who I am. This is why Jesus could say in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, some words that I think everyone in America should hear right now. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is able to say, hey, if you come to me, I'll provide you with the rest that you've been searching for, for weeks and months and years and even generations. Come to the Father. He says, I have identified you as a human being, not a human doing, so rest. And when you rest, all of a sudden, the activity is over. When I'm rested, all of a sudden, I was, I was talking to uh, Chuck today and Josh, like when I'm rested, it's like sermon series. I think I did seven different sermon series yesterday morning because I felt rested. And I was like, oh man, just banging them out because I felt rested. When I feel rested, my activity is just from overflow. What we're trying to do here in America is we're trying to make our, act, our activity our identity and then trying to find identity in the overflow. Just somewhere in the middle of all the loads of laundry, all the different diapers, all the different errands, all the different sports things, all the different activities, I'll somewhere make time for myself. Usually we relegate it to sitting in line at Starbucks because this is for me. And when we're in line at Starbucks, we end up being late in traffic and then we're less refreshed than when we started because everything in our culture is about what we do. In God's culture, it's all about who you are. So let's think about this today. This is a great opportunity, husbands, for you to be like, hey, girl, I'm going to let you rest today because you're more than what you do. I just had this epiphany right now. You're more than laundry. You're more than dishes. You're more than cooking. It just came to me somewhere out of the blue. Husbands, opportunity, take advantage of it. But secondly, 
I know who I am because I know whose I am. When you know who you belong to, you learn who you are. When you learn who you are, what you do takes care of itself. I haven't grown up yet, but I don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up. But if I can learn from a six-year-old what my daughter right now tells me, and I say, what are you going to do when you grow up? She's like, I'm just going to be me. Out of the mouth of babies, you learn. When you know who you belong to, you learn who you are. But when you learn who you are, what you do is just overflow. It's just overflow. Your job doesn't identify you. I am not a pastor. I'm a child of God, which is great because sometimes I'm not a very good pastor. But I'm really great at being a child of God because it's up to him, not me. So knowing whose I am determines who I am. And who I am is greater than the parts of what I do. Then when I rest, I realize really all I need to do today is find out who the iteration of my wife and daughter are today and be in love with those two people because they're going to be different tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. So when I'm rested and I know who I am, all of a sudden it's like, man, let me figure out who you are today and let me love you like God loves me. And that's the sum of it. So I'm going to ask you all right now, we're going to do something in just a minute. I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm not going to make you stand. We're not all going to pray together today. In just a couple of minutes, as soon as I finish praying, I'm going to say, start this dedication process. But before that, I want to give you a moment. Whose are you? Who do you belong to? The God who created you? Or do you belong to your employer? Do you belong to the God who created you or to who your family tells you you have to be. I don't even want to bother with what do you do. Whose are you? The way we belong to God the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. He said, I don't call you uh, servants anymore. I call you friends. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become a child of God. He literally writes our name in his book the book of his children, and we become one of his own. Not based off what we do, but based off of who he is. There's so much security in who God is. The Bible says that when you accept Jesus Christ, that Jesus places you in his hands, and then the Father places his hands over you, over that. And no one can rip you out of Jesus' hands, and they definitely can out of God the Father's hands. You're safely held in God the Father who created you with an identity focused on rest and blessing. Not on doing more to impress Him. Not on doing more to try to prove something to Him, but in resting in the fact that He died to save the very beings He created. Because He loves you. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you a question. It's a very important question. Are you a child of God? Has Jesus Christ ever been called upon by you to save you? Has there been a moment in your life where you realized, I am at odds with God. I do sin. I do 
things that I don't love. And I do things that hurt other people. And I do things that I know are wrong. And I realize that because I sin, I cannot therefore stand in the presence of God, the Father who's holy and spotless. So therefore, I'm not his child. But all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because no one who comes to the Father will in any wise be cast out. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. It's not about how you pray this prayer. There's no prayer, no matter how many times you say it or how fancy, that's going to save you. It is a belief that you need Jesus to rescue you from yourself and from sin and to save you and bring you into the family of God. So heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you'd say, hey, I don't even know how to pray this. I'm just going to shoot my hand up because I know that I need to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. Would you just raise your hand and say, I need to accept Jesus. I've not accepted him before. I need to. I need him to be my God. Is that you? Anyone in here like to raise their hand and say, hey, I need him. Thank you. Thank you. If you're in here today and you are, have already made that choice. But like me, sometimes your identity becomes your activity really quick. You find yourself identifying yourself based off what you do, not who you are. Maybe right now in this moment you say, I need to rest in who God made me to be, his child. 